all these people said it is a pale imitation of art which has a profound which happens to propound for a popular audience the same value that art does for the elite. He's trying to compare art and entertainment. He's trying to tell us that, um, you know, the, the, the art seems to be more something you find uh, common with rich people. You know, they have these paintings in their houses, they go to museums and all that. And for us as Africans, it's not a concept we've really embraced. But he, he makes some interesting points. He says, he says this, art and, 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 sorry, engenders thoughts and emotions in, an, in its audience so that they can be referred to a meaning. You look, like a, look at a painting of, uh, who's the most famous painter we know, Van Gogh or something like that. And you look at it and you, you see things that I'm sure Van Gogh didn't even imagine when he was painting it. That's how they deal with art. But he's trying to tell us here that entertainment also creates thoughts and emotions in its audience and gives them pleasure by allowing its members to notice that the events before them also engender thoughts and actions. So it's saying that entertainment, even though it's as if it's away from you, it's actually using your own imagination, your own thoughts. Am I making sense? And that's the clip I want to show you. I wanted to just put this down before we go into the scriptural part of it. Some of you would not believe it. For instance, says acrobats create fear when they do all sorts of unusual stuff. And even though we don't like fear, I don't know if you get it. None of us likes to be afraid. But in, in a sense, we know that it is the events in front of us that make us afraid, but we're not afraid. I don't know if you get the point. We're afraid, but we're not afraid. Because you know it's a controlled fear. Okay? This is difficult. <laughs> and like he says, mystery stories create suspense by piling up. You're watching a James Bond movie. You know that at the end, he will make it. But he's about to be shot and you're, oh... You know what I mean? Except when it's horror films where you don't know who or lost. Where you know you don't know who's going to die next. You, you know what I mean? But he, they're using your emotions, okay? And and it says they pile up clues in audiences. You enjoy the suffering. Oh, that man is the one that killed him. That one is not. You know, you and your wife are arguing. You know, and she says no, that's the man. And I'm. You know what I mean? Anyway, praise the Lord. All right. So let me just close this. It says sports also uh, because. Audiences attend to the particular way the game is played. For instance, if a man throws his, his, uses a ball, throws his ball into the football uh, goalpost, you know, ah, why you, you know, you cheat. You know what I mean? Or you know how they used to do it, where they were head with their hand like this. There are rules and regulations that are created to give you some sort of feeling, some sort of, uh, how, how am I going to explain this? Sort of, it, it deals with your thoughts and your emotions. Am, am, I, am I making sense? All right? Now, God and he's trying to explain that entertainment is more popular than art because uh, audiences have a better participation uh, but art also has its benefit but I don't want to go into those two things I just want to bring out the fact that this is something that as the church we have not studied so what I want to do is I want to show you a quick clip okay uh, I'm going to show you several clips okay the first two are almost as if they are contrast the first one is about hair now, but I want you not to take everything he says seriously because he's cracking a joke but more importantly I want you to notice how he doesn't use any props at all except for the costume he's wearing and how he gets you involved in what he's doing are you here? are we ready over there? Shem, are we okay? are we okay Shem? is that yes or no? or five minutes? anyway, whichever one
can't find it again. be found in hell, but that's not important now. It's, it's, the, it's the power of drama. He was the only one on the stage, but I'm sure your imagination did all the other work. Am I right? You saw the Germans, you saw the French, you even saw the lawyers. Am I making sense? That's the power of entertainment. Of course, being used to make fun of us. guys are quiet. I, no, I haven't said anything criminal. I've just said the truth. But, but, but it's such a powerful tool. But we don't use it. I mean, I've watched that thing about five times. And every time I watch it, I laugh. And everything is done on his face, on his reaction, on, his, on, his, on the tempo of his voice. And all he's doing is standing on stage and created that whole illusion of hell. You all know him. That's Mr. Bean from your TV series. Incredibly good actor, British actor. Did that bless you? Huh? Should I continue? Now I'm going to take you to another extreme. And if you see the character I'm about to play before you now, if you know the roles he plays on television, you'll be scared. And if you know some of the words that come out of his mouth, but he stands in the middle of a comedy program called Kings of Comedy, and then he stands up to make a presentation. And uh, he, he, he says something. He says, you may not like the way I do it, but this is the way I do it. So I want you to listen to this. Just give me a minute to find it. And then we'll... How did you feel about that one? Huh? Leave the lights off. We still have two more clips, but let me just stop and talk. By all standards, that man is an unbeliever, B. He takes an audience of so many people who are unbelievers and magnifies the name of the Lord. But he says something. He says, I'm not going to do it the way you do it. I'm going to do it the way I understand it. Now before some of you think I'm being unspiritual, let me just touch on a few things. Because I want to show you two more clips. The other two are just funny. They're just funny for fun's sake. So I'm just, let me leave that until the end. Is that okay? But this is what I want to show you. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 19. Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites and sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. Ladies and gentlemen, music was part of Israel's daily life. It was a part of oral history culture. It was used to teach them. It taught them and kept a history of their experiences. Music to the Israelites wasn't something that we do on church on Sunday.
see how long we've kept everything we do to the four walls of church are you here And he, he, Moses wrote down this song. I couldn't put all the song down because the song starts from Deuteronomy 30, I mean, from, from, from verse 1. And Moses recited in verse 30, Moses recited the words of this song from the beginning to the end in the hearing of the whole assembly. Even the head of state used music to teach. If we don't use music to teach, the devil will use music to teach. If we don't use comedy to teach, the devil will use comedy to teach. If we don't use action movies to teach, the devil will use it. If we don't use theater, the devil will kill it. I think this is just me. He's using the arts, mass media. He played a song. He taught them the words. Can you imagine uh, calling the whole nation and call off you sitting in front of a television set? Oh yeah. Nigeria, we hate you. Oh, yeah, you say it after me. Nigeria. Wouldn't you think it's stupid? This is part of the song. There's even a song we wrote of it. He is the rock. His works are perfect. And all his ways are just. The whole song is written from Deuteronomy chapter 42, 1 to 40. That's where the song is. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is it. And he said they have acted corruptly towards him. And to their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Can you imagine if there was a musical on stage presenting how bad we've gone from God? There was a musical on stage instead of maybe just sound of music, but the sound of God. I don't know if you get the point I'm making. Let me tell you something. If I ask you what, if I ask you what I've said this morning, most of you are going to remind, remind me of one sentence because you're not going to listen to it. You're not going to remember it all. The power of drama is that it's, it, it ministers to you even with your thoughts and your emotions. Can you imagine our response to a musical that spoke to Christians about their values? And it's not something you do on Sunday. It's something they put on their TV and they watch. Something they put on their radio and it's a comedy show, yet it leaves values in you. Are you listening to me? It's a song that not doesn't have Jesus in every verse. But gives you value. Teaches you values. Teaches you principles. Are you, are you guys here? I, I think that that's really... I just, what he did with, those, with, with Genesis chapter 1 to 42 was, it was like he wrote an opera about the history of Israel from the time God removed them from Egypt up to where they got to. He was writing an opera about it. Now, what is interesting is that you, you as an adult will watch the opera. Your children will watch it and you will go home and explain to him that that opera was about who? Us. How we got here. It is used to reinforce what is being taught to the nation in different ways. The principles and values that God was giving them to build their nation. Music was already part of their culture. Now it's being used for a specific purpose. Which means it was being used for national development. 
Why can't we use it for kingdom development? Is this above your head? Am I talking above your head? No, come on now. I wanted to just show you a few other examples briefly. I didn't have time to do all what I wanted to do. His name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and the flute. Genesis chapter 31, 20. So I could send you away with joy singing to the music of tambourines and harps. What we have done is separate Christianity from music that you used to entertain yourself when you're getting married. What we've done is separate God from our daily occurrence with the music we listen to because we have what is called Christian music. I want to show you the last two clips. Before I do that, I want to get some reactions from you because I promised you that we're going to be talking about this together. Anybody want to bell the cat this evening? I want to get your response to this. How does that impact you? How does it what does it tell you? What are the potentials we have? What are the things we can do? Some of you are wondering, am I in church or in, the, in, a, in an arts theater this morning? What I'm trying to say is that there is a mountain called arts, entertainment, and sports. We're told to date that Manchester United, the largest fan base of Manchester United is not in England. It's here in Nigeria. I'm told there's 50 million people are arguing about the value. Whatever value it is, was enough for Manchester United to come and play a match here. I don't know if you get my point. So, assuming it's even 20 million, assuming it's even, it's even 10 million, Manchester United is influencing 10 million Nigerians. If Manchester United's value system is alcohol, drugs, and sex, what would be the value system of the 10 million people? All of us watch American Idols. All of us watch So You Think You Can Dance. All of us watch Big Brother. Even though we watch it from the corner of our eyes. Somebody said, the whole world is turning to reality programs. The church is still pretending. Anybody want to make a comment or two? Quickly now. Praise the Lord. Um, actually, from what we just watched the other time, I actually want to bring out something about the church from it. And uh, with the fact that I think so far so good, it's like the church has been stereotyped to a particular model which everybody has come to believe. In this part of the world, we are here. And um, it's now the time for the church to realize ourselves, to bring, to bring out from those shells. For example, dancing, for example, like this rare dancers and all that. 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it was not as, you know, as common as it is today. And every church is adopting that because any church that doesn't have anything to do with the youth today, I don't think that church can, can amount to something. Even in leadership, in all that aspect of, of, of church leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody's at the back. Okay, somebody beside you. Go, give it to him. Praise the Lord. Ah, well, uh, is there something wrong I, with that, Mike? I, I, I just want to make a contribution because uh, the way I know we could uh, cause a change 
is through the youth because the adults are fizzling out. There is little or more they can do. No, Does that include me? No, 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 no. You are doing something. Sir, but the truth is, um, Winston Churchill said something. He said the church is getting worldly and the world is getting churchy. That is to say that the things of the world are getting into the church. And, you know, you see people doing Yahuzi outside, bringing it to the church to dance it, as in it is becoming a, a, a norm now, everywhere. And I just believe uh, God will raise some people, like me, for instance. I just This is just a perfect timing. I'm going into entertainment by God's grace. I'm called to go into it. I'm called to change the media. And I just believe God is going to do something. And lastly, as regards music, Adolf Hitler said something. Give me the music of a nation's youth and I will control that nation. Wow. We need to change music. Thank wow. You. That's good. Let's appreciate it. Um, how many of you heard of an evangelist called Amy Simple McPherson? She was the founder of the First Square Gospel Church. Now, what, you, what most of you don't understand was that McPherson was so original in her presentations in church like what we're doing today. McPherson, if she wants to talk about policemen and all that, she will bring a police bike to the church. You know what I mean? She would do a whole setting. All these backdrops we're doing were nothing compared to what McPherson would do. She would, do, she would turn the whole stage into the set that she wants to preach about that Sunday. And they would build it. She became so good at it Sunday after Sunday that Hollywood used to send people to come and take pictures of her backdrop to learn from her. This is, this is the problem of our creativity. We are the only one whose father is called the creator. We are supposed to be the most creative people. And the reason why we go into the world to see what they're doing and bring it back is because we've lost our connection with the creative, creative God that we are. We are supposed to be inventing things and then the world will come and do what? Copy us. And that's what is missing. And that's why our creative juices... I remember I showed you a, uh, a clip from Robinson last Sunday about how he said, it's as if we're being educated out of creativity rather than into it. That the older we get, the less creative we become. Do you remember that? That was last Sunday. Some of you were, were in the spirit there. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's hear what comment you Is there something wrong with that mic? I want to share something in line with those two clips that you have shown. Some years ago during uh, Princess Diana's burial ceremony, the brother was asked to read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And I have never heard it read the way that guy read it that day. Because he read it from his heart. He read it directly from his emotions. And it touched everybody, everybody, at least where I was. It touched everybody. And this guy is at least apparently an unbeliever. But he was able to reach everybody, at least where I was, because of the fact that he read it directly from his heart. And I've had pastors, uh, pastors have read it in my presence. Bishops have even, have even read it in my presence. Nobody has ever read it like that. So this, something like this can be very, very powerful. Thank you. Thank you. You had many years ago about um, at the beginning of uh, 
of a conference, and I think I was in England and America, I don't remember. They asked the professor of English to, to read the 23rd Psalm. And so he came and read it in perfect Queen's English. And by the time he finished, everybody was applauded. And then at the end of the conference, they invited a retired pastor to come and read the 23rd Psalm. So he didn't even bother to bring out his Bible. So he got on the stage and began to quote the 23rd Psalm and spoke with such emotions, similar to what my brother is describing right now. By the time he finished, people were crying. They couldn't understand. So, so they walked up to him and they said, Sir, how come when the professor read it, we all applauded. When you read it, our emotions were stirred up. He said, well, he knows the psalm. I know the shepherd. What benefit are we bringing to whatever professions we're in because we know God? What are the things we're bringing in? What are the things we're... What are the... What are, what, you know, what... If, in other words, if I make this and an unbeliever makes it, what did I add that makes my own unique? I think it was uh, somebody yesterday who said she went to Mokola to buy to to Mokola to buy furniture. Mokola furniture is very interesting. You see it, it looks nice outside. Take it home. In three days, it begins to fall apart from the inside. Because they've, they've given you the, the, the picture on the outside, but the inside, the quality of wood they use, the materials they use are substandard. But, but you know what I mean? They, 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 they just want you to buy and go. Yet, why can't there be a Christian who you buy his furniture? I remember going to, I went to um, Arashola's church, where, where, Gethsemane. I made furniture for him in 1984. And I was called to preach there two years ago. So I walked in to preach, and as God will do it that day, he was in the service. So he was, so they, he decided that he, was, he wanted to introduce me. So he got up on the pulpit and then turned to a chair and a table beside the pulpit, and he said, this is the man that made this chair in 1984, and it's still standing. So I trust that whatever he's going to say to you today. So what, what do you add? What do you add? I'm not saying everybody here to go into arts and entertainment. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is, if God has called us, we have something that the world is hungry for. And it's a tool. So, you want to, can you give the mic? Then we can have fun after that. I'll show you two more clips and then you can have fun. I would just like to share my experience yesterday with all of you. And it bothers on what Pastor Francis just said. I was playing golf with a retired George yesterday morning. And when we finished, I asked him, I said, Sir, what do you think of the appeals going on in some of the states uh, then I had the mind or I was thinking of or your state in particular and he turned around and he said look most judges are afraid most judges don't stand up 
for the truth. Then he went on to say that at one stage he gave a verdict against Abacha. He told me his wife was more afraid for his life than he was for his own life. And at the end of it, he gave the verdict against Abaja, and of course, he had been warned that he might be killed. As soon as he did that, he said to himself that the worst scenario is they take their car, they throw me out of the house. But at that time, anyway, he had prepared himself because he had his own car, personal car. He also had built a house. What then happened? The news got to Abacha and Abacha said, oh, that crazy man. All right, let's move on. They didn't kill him. That, for me, is living, this guy is a Christian. Is living a Christian life. Is showing and proving what the Lord God has done for us and what we should be doing. So, we are not going to change society by going through bandwagon or going the bandwagon effect. It is until we are able to stand our ground, even at the face of death, even at the face of death, our Savior did it. And if we want to be like him, what else? We will all go anyway, whether we like it or not. So, there is a lot we can stand up for. There is a lot we can bring out through the arts, through drama, through sports. And here again, we all have gifts. Let's use it to glorify our good Lord. Thank you. Amen. That's sufficient. You know, when I was younger as a Christian, I think it's in John, first John or third John. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by not loving their life till death. You know, we, we, we decided to spiritualize that because, you know, we don't want to add death to what we're doing right now. Maybe, am I right? Am I right? I think there's a lesson there for all of us. You know, all we're trying to make a demand of you this morning is to make a difference where you are. That's all. Just bring something that is not there. Bring the kingdom. I'm going to share this in the network service. When God made the earth, when, before God created man, he, he fixed the earth. Remember that? It was after he had recreated the earth that he put man into it. Have you noticed that when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom first before he redeemed man. I don't know if you get the point I'm making. And our duties on earth to replenish, to multiply and be fruitful. Am I making sense? They haven't changed. We're just doing it in his kingdom. You were created. In other words, God created the earth and called you to come and make a difference on it. Am I making sense? And God called you to make a difference. All right?
But let's just bow our heads and make a commitment. And if you do have your tithes on your offering this morning, we'll be happy to receive it now. You're going to die. You know, one day I'm going to die. Someone said, when you were born, you cried, and the earth and your people rejoiced. It says, may it be that when you die, you rejoice, and people cry. What impact am I going to make? What am I here for? Who's going to cry for you? Are they going to be happy that you were born? Or are they just going to be relieved that you've left? I've got to make a difference, ladies and gentlemen. I can't just live. I just can't live and not make a difference. I've just got to be somebody who, when I leave, people have got to say somebody's left. Somebody's made an impact. He touched the music industry. He touched, he touched the, the movie industry. We had Tunde Kelani a few days ago. Simple man, very simple. Father, we're here this morning to make a commitment to you. Use us for your glory. Help us to yield to your spirit. Let's reconnect to our creativity, the one you have divinely ordained for us, that we may go out and make a difference in this industry and in other industries that you've called us. Help us not to live lives that are useless, but help us to live lives that will leave an eternal legacy on this earth. Touch millions and many people by the way we live and the way we do our things. We commit to you this morning, oh God. Help us that your name may be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your tithe, just lift it up. Let's pray over it. Father, we sanctify the tithes and the offering this morning. I thank you for your children who have seen it their way clear to obeying your word. You're going to reward them, God, because your word is already settled in heaven. So visit each and every one of them where the shoe pinches. Visit each one of them one of them in their heart's desires. Today, they're not giving 10%, oh God. They're giving what you've given to them. And so we ask for a reward. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into their lives, oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to show you two clips.